You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Thank you, Rod. Good morning, everybody. You may be seated and welcome again to Summit Community Church. We're so blessed to have you with us here on our campus as well as online to worship with us, our true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Before the message today, I want to dig into something really quick that maybe you've heard in some of the news outlets in the last past several days. There was a story that broke about the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, about a task force being given the opportunity, given the privilege, or being given the the task of investigating something with the executive committee. And what happened back in November, it was told and found out by many members of the SBC that there were some sexual abuse allegations that came out and to a handful of the executive committee were met with pushback and some non-actions were taken that should have been taken, some actions taken that should not have been taken. Therefore, the SBC rose up and said, we need to have an external investigation into these matters. So what broke loose in that report was the findings from that external source prompted by the SBC to say, let's investigate this. And so in that finding, we have found that this coming June 14 to 16 at the annual convention in Anaheim, that will be the number one topic of discussion about where do we move forward from here with policies and procedures and protocols and correct what's been done and what's happened wrongly and with this handful of people with the executive committee from this task force. So as we move forward in this, I will tell you as a staff that we are, we're deeply saddened and grieved by these reports. We're deeply saddened and grieved by the reports of the sexual abuse, the cover-ups, some dishonesty, and lack of integrity from a few members of the SBC Executive Committee. And so therefore, we are, we, this, we feel like it's this time that we stand with the people we grieve, and we mourn, and we lament with those who are the survivors of this. We feel like it's a time to, for us to lament and time to express deep regret and grief and sorrow. It's a time for us to pray and seek God together, humble ourselves, a time to ask him to forgive and heal and help those who are the victims of this, and also to show us the way forward through remorse and repentance and healing. And I promise you this, we'll keep our eyes and ears on what takes place at the convention because we pray proper things will be taken care of at that moment in time to move forward. We pray that there's proper actions taken, the non-actions are dealt with in a proper way, and there's healing for these people in this process. So we stand with them in this, and we grieve, we lament, we, even, we, we lament and seek healing for them in this scenario. So we do ask for that from you as we stand united in this to pray for them and pray for this scenario, this situation that's before us. Um, and I am encouraged by the fact that the outside source coming in as a task force to investigate was prompted by SBC members. We praise God for their prompting, saying, let's investigate this and push it out in the open, get this handled and taken care of. And we do deeply grieve, and we lament, and we mourn in this scenario. So I would ask you to please, let's pray right now for this before we get into the message today. Father in heaven, we love you. We praise you for who you are. As we've sung many times just a moment ago, you're a loving Father, and we thank you for this. You're a just Father, and we thank you for this. And Father, for what's before us with the executive committee, with this task force revealing of the report. Father, we, we come humbly into your presence. God, we pray for the survivors of these, these scenarios, these sexual abuse situations. Father, I pray for them that we would find, they would find healing, 
They would find proper action taking place. They would find healing in you. They would find restoration in you, find hope in you, find peace and joy in you. And Father, we stand, may they feel our grief, our remorse, and our lament with them. May they feel our presence with them in this scenario. And Father, I pray that as we stand with them, they know that you are that good, good Father to them, and we stand with them in this. And Father, I pray for the ones, the handful, the committee who had made wrong actions and some non-actions in this scenario. Father, I do pray that proper accountability takes place, that proper things are handled and taken care of on that behalf. And Father, that protocols and policies are put in place where we protect from these things ever happening anymore. So Father, we do stand, and we, we stand frustrated. We stand in hope. We stand, most of all, in grief, shared grief, and mourning and lament for those involved. So Father, I pray for your healing, and I pray that right things are done to bring honor and glory to your name, and your kingdom is moving forward, we pray. In Christ's name, we do ask. Amen. I really know nothing else to bring you, but we do grieve and we lament, we mourn as we do always in situations like this. So pray with us. God is God and God will overcome in this in their lives for healing and also in our lives that we would see moving forward in God's kingdom together. Now for today, we last saw Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. We saw him leaving Nazareth from a very unpleasant visit. His second visit, first one, they wanted to kill him. Not too good. Second visit, they were very offended by him, but offended by his ordinariness. But how ordinary he is. He's the, he's the carpenter. He is, his brothers and sisters are with us. He's Mary's son. They're offended by his ordinariness. And as they're offended, he's sending out his disciples to go minister and serve and love in the surrounding villages and communities. And as he's sending them out, he's showing us how we are called to engage our culture, how we are called to live in the world, but not be of the world, how we are to share the truth of him to those around us. And as we said last week, the big idea was exclusive in truth about him, but inclusive in attractiveness. Christ told them all things not to bring, and he says, take one thing with you, your staff, to be reminded when things happen, it's all because of me and not about you. And don't take your stuff to live outside of the villages and bus in or walk in to preach, then leave. Live among the people, depend on their hospitality, serve the people, love the people, be with the people, be inclusive in your attractiveness among them. That we're to simultaneously live an exclusive and inclusive lifestyle among those, that we might help them answer the predominant question in the Gospel of Mark is this question, who is this Jesus? The community, the crowds asked that question. As they saw the miracles, heard him teach, they said, who is this man named Jesus? The disciples struggled with that question of who is this Jesus who even conquers the winds and the waves, they obey him. Who is this man? The crowd, the village, the cultures around us are asking that same question. And we must live a life of total truth and total attractiveness in how we present that truth to help them answer correctly, who is this Jesus? Answer correctly who he is in their lives as we have seen in our lives. And that happens through three big words last week. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. We're justified at the moment we come to know Christ, made right in his eyes. And from that moment of being justified, made right in his eyes, we then begin a process of sanctification, being made holy like Christ in our lives. 
And how we live out that sanctification in front of others, being like Christ, will point them back to who Jesus is in the truth and help them answer that question. And then we speak to our future glorification, being with him in his presence one day, face to face, because we are justified and we're being made sanctified in that process. So that's what happens. That's where we're moving forward. That's what he prompted them to do, that we must be people that present the gospel, hear the gospel, see the gospel, and be challenged by that gospel where we live work, and play. Now today we're looking at a what is most likely the most popular miracle of Jesus in all the Gospels. It's the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But when you count in children and women, you're probably talking about 20,000 people, not just 5,000. Now here's a fact you need to know. Given that the largest villages or cities back in the day around that area would have been one to 3,000 people, 20,000 people is a lot of people traveling around that lake. So get the picture. 20,000, if you maximized every city at 3,000, which you would not, that would be seven whole cities following this crowd, in this crowd. But as many villages as that, because many were much smaller. But 20,000 people were following Jesus around the edges of this lake as they're heading across the lake. And what we're going to understand is in God's economy, here's what happens. Usually, look on the screen with me, five plus two equals what? Kids are with us. Seven. I've been graduated a long time, but I still know that's correct. Five plus two equals seven in mathematics. But here's what we know. But here, five plus two does not equal seven. Here, five loaves and two fish equals plus or minus 20,000 people served in a way that they're satisfied. Talk about that to a mathematician, a math teacher. They, it will blow their minds. Stand up next to me, 5 plus 2, 20,000. You won't pass the test, but in God's economy, that's the truth. We're going to see this unfold before our eyes in this very gospel, in this story that Jesus tells us in this miracle. You know what I We all will face very impossible, seemingly impossible scenarios, difficult scenarios in our lives. Here's what I know. What is impossible with you is truly possible with God. Twice in Scripture, he says this, with man this is impossible. Think about the scenario there on the screen. But with God, all things are possible. He goes again and says it one more time in another gospel. He says nothing is impossible with God. He, he twists it around. Now I will tell you this. When the Bible says the same thing two different ways, that means it's doubly important. So walk away today knowing this, in this story, for my life and yours, nothing is impossible with God. What seems impossible to you is very possible, very doable, truly doable by God himself. Now, before this miracle takes place, we've got to see what happens that gets them to this very place to see the miracle begin to happen. What we see in this passage is what I would believe and what I know to be the, the way, what it takes to do ministry how we're to be effective in ministry and to be ministered to in our lives. The first thing is this, ministry takes commitment and sacrifice. Ministry and serving others is not easy. If you find it easy, tell me how, and I will definitely take notes. But ministering and serving others is not easy, and you have to be committed and be sacrificial if you're going to do it. See, they share all that has taken place as they were in the villages, and they've been extremely busy. It's been a stressful time. 
And now it comes to a point where Christ, look at verse 30. It says they, were, they had gathered Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves for a remote, to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Now I would challenge you with a thought. When you are so busy you can't stop to eat, that's pretty busy. Christ hears all that's been going on. He knows about his life. He says, well, gather with me. Let's go to a remote place to find rest, respite, to retreat from all the busyness and the chaos of ministry. So here they go. They get in the boat. They're expecting to get some much-needed rest. And if you've not eaten, what does that mean? You're hungry. They want to get a much-needed meal into their stomachs, into their bellies. They want food. And they won't rest. They want that respite, that retreat from the busyness and chaos of their life and ministry. But here again, it takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. Look what happens. Verse 32. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, as they did a lot with Jesus by now. And they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. They see this crowd growing as they're crossing the lake this way. A crowd's coming this way on foot, and the crowd keeps growing as they go step by step with gathering people along. And the second thing as we see is this happening in this section of the passage. It takes Sacrifice, it takes commitment, but it also takes compassion. Ministry requires compassion. Now, I promise you this. If you're not compassionate towards others, commitment and sacrifice will only take you so far. It'll drop you off. To get that, to get that commitment and sacrifice full-blown in somebody's life, you've got to be very compassionate with how you approach, have compassion in your heart. Because I promise you this. In ministry and serving others, you will, we do, get frustrated, do we not? We do get burnt out, do we not? And we will be tempted to quit because it's not easy. It would have been so easy right here to look at this massive crowd of people and just blow them off and totally ignore them. If you're honest, would you say so? You're so tired, you've been so busy, you couldn't even eat. And Christ says, let's go to a remote place. In your heart and your mind, you're like, yes. And then you bump into this massive crowd as you, before you even get off the boat. Here they are. You can't even get through the crowd. They're tired and they're hungry, but look what happens. It says Jesus, as an example to them and us, he saw them and had compassion on them. That word compassion here in this gospel is a word that means a deeply intense compassion. It's a word that at the root means stomach. So get the picture. Christ says he is so moved in his compassion towards these people, it's hit him in his very guts. He sees these people like sheep without a shepherd. His heart is moved. He's struck to his core with compassion. Christ felt compassion so intensely that it was down to the core of his being. See, compassion helps us not only to sympathize with people, but to empathize with them. Compassion helps me to walk in their shoes. Compassion breaks my heart for them and drives me to minister to their needs. 
to love them unconditionally and to sacrifice self for them. Compassion means much more than just pity. It means actual help. Christ says, I can't just say I'm moved in my emotions. I'm going to act on those emotions toward this crowd in their life. In their tiredness and their hunger, here they go. They've got to be, have compassion for these people. Now, the third thing, and this is obvious, I think, ministry can be very frustrating. I sense a lot of frustration right here with the disciples in my fresh reading of this this past week and a half. When the day is winding down, here they are. They're so tired. They're so hungry. They're ready to wrap it all up and go. Christ has been teaching. They're like, we can't hardly keep our eyes open. Our stomachs are growling. And I sense frustration rising up. Look at verse 35. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Now, I would promise you this. The disciples think in their minds they're making a very logical response to Jesus. Would you not? They look and go, Jesus, look where we are. It's remote, nowhere around. We're tired, we're exhausted, we're hungry. They obviously are hungry because it's late in the day. They've been with us for a long time. There's nowhere to get food. Send them away to get food in surrounding villages and countryside. And in a sense, if I'm honest, underneath these words are exhaustion and hunger and frustration because what are they actually saying? Jesus, please send them away so we can go ourselves. (laughs) We can get some food and we can get some rest. Please send them away. They think their answer is logical. Late, deserted, nowhere about food. They have to get food somewhere else, so send them away. But as only Christ can do, and have you ever happened, has this ever happened to you? This scenario takes place, and you and Jesus, has this ever happened to you? Jesus flips the script on them. You ever had Christ flip the script on you? You think what you're arguing is logical and all your butts don't add up? Jesus says, nope, here's the deal. He flips the script right here. He does not send them away, but what does he say? You provide food for them. Totally flips the script. Look at verse 37. You give them something to eat, he responded. Now, I I look at this one sentence, and I remember something else about how our lives are to mama, mimic Christ and following him. Jesus made it very clear in the gospel about following him what it took. And I would say, what was the first thing that Christ said that we're to do to follow him? Now remember, they're extremely hungry themselves. Christ said in the gospels to follow him, he says, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. That first phrase, you are to, to deny yourself. Right here, I think he's telling the disciples, put your hunger aside. Forget about yourself here. Even I know it's been a long day, stressful, long, many days. You feed them. Then the frustration comes with a little bit of sarcasm back. Other gospels says Peter, I don't know who it was, one of the disciples. They come and they says at verse 37, the last they said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? I could pick up on some sarcasm here. If when you're frustrated and you're tired, what's probably the first thing that comes out of your mouth? A little bit of sarcasm. 
Would it be not? Jesus, we've been with you. We got in the boat. We have nothing on us. We're common laborers. We don't have this, but Jesus, do you want us to go buy 200 denarii worth of food? Bring it back to these people? And here's a one denarii was a day's wages for their common labor back then. 200 days of wages. I would promise you the disciples did not have that kind of money in their wallet. So they're a little bit of sarcasm. They're kicking back at Jesus saying, you provide food for them. This frustration and sarcasm. They've been logical. Christ flips the script. Now I think they're a little bit sarcastic. And Jesus says, you feed them. The fourth thing we got to understand, and Christ is moving in this direction, is this. Your little is a lot in the hands of Jesus. Look at verse 38. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They saying, branch out in the crowd, let's go see. When they found out, they said five, five loaves and two fish. Now, this was a very huge step of faith for the disciples. They obviously knew the people didn't have enough food because they already told him to send them away so they could get food. So, but yet they're called to go out among the crowds and say, find out how much food you can gather among the people. And now they come back with five loaves and two fish. And if I'm in their shoes at this moment right here, freeze frame for a second, right at that moment, I'm going, Jesus, that was such a waste of time. We could have sent them away an hour ago because all we came back with was five loaves and two fish. But your little is a lot in the hands of Jesus. They're getting ready to see this. We must see this ourselves. They're thinking, no way this is going to work out. But here's another principle. Listen and obey Jesus, especially when you don't understand. Look at verse 39. He instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. What's happening? Jesus is ringing the dinner bell, and there's, no, there's not a near enough food. They're going, Jesus, one of us could eat what's in our hands right now, two of us maximum, but we could eat this, and 20,000 people, and you divide them in groups. They're expecting something, Jesus. We don't have enough. Right here, the disciples are thinking, what's getting ready to happen? He's preparing them for a meal, and we don't have enough money. We made that clear. And now we have such little food, and for like two people, and there's 20,000. See, they were probably still focused right here, if I'm honest, about what they could not do. What they couldn't do is what their focus was on. It's so easy to let what you cannot do keep you from doing what you really can do. You're paralyzed by that. You can be become paralyzed with what many call the drop-in-the-bucket effect. If you've got a five-gallon bucket and all you have is a dropper, what's going to happen? It's going to take a long time to fill that bucket. And you're thinking, well, I've only got one dropper, about seven or eight drops of water in this massive bucket. What's that going to amount to? Well, many drops will fill the bucket. Your few drops will help fill the buckets. Therefore, you can't get paralyzed what you don't have, realize what you do have, and turn it over. And then Jesus will begin to fill the bucket. We let our heads get ahead of our hearts. The truth is this. Christ could have performed this miracle as all miracles, ex nihilo, which means from nothing, like he did in creation, in the story, creation story in Genesis. Create all around us from nothing. But Jesus says, I want you involved. I want you engaged in this miracle. Now think about it. The miracles of Jesus, of the miracles he performed, what did he ask of the people? To do something. 
He puts mud on the man's eyes who is blind. He says, go wash your eyes. The man who is, blind, who is crippled, he says, stand up on your feet. When he's going, I never stood a day in my life, Jesus. What do you mean? He says, stand up. He tells the lepers, go on your way. And as they're going, the leprosy leaves. There's a human element involved in the miracles that Jesus performs. God does a supernatural when we pull out the natural and say, here's what we have. That's what's getting ready to happen. So often we get focused on our limitations and we miss the limitless ability of God in our lives. You and I must do what we can, do what we must, and trust God to do what only God can do in every scenario in your life, in my life. In the natural world, it's easy to think that if you give more, you will have less. But as we looked on the screen in God's economy, it means when you give what you have, God gives even more. Look at verse 41. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. This last thing about ministry is this. Give God what seems without possibility to experience the impossible. They gave Jesus what was without possibility. Five loaves and two fish, 20,000 people. It's not going to work. Didn't seem so. But then they see from that, they experience the impossible. Notice the order here. They are faced with what seems to be, by all human standards, an impossible situation. The solution that Jesus puts before them seems so senseless. Jesus challenges them to begin the whole process. He asks them to begin the process, to set the table for the miracle after they gather the food before they actually see anything begin to take place by dividing them into groups. They're involved in this process, what seemingly is an impossible scenario. Without possibility, they're going to experience the impossible. He was getting them ready for a miracle before they ever knew a miracle was coming. Can you imagine what's going on in the disciples' minds right here as Jesus is from these five loaves and two fish, he keeps sending them out. Can you imagine how long it would take for 12 people to feed a crowd of 20,000 divided by 50s and 100? Can you imagine how big of a place this was on this countryside, this hillside, this place? And probably about midstream, they're going, where is all this food coming from? But God, Jesus keeps providing. Can you imagine the, in the minds of the crowd? We're way out here from civilization, nothing around. We're getting into groups. We saw when they landed in the boat, they didn't have donkeys with, with food on their backs with big old things of food. They didn't come carrying anything. They don't have food with them. So he's dividing us up. What's going on? Here's the deal for myself and you. When you least expect it, the least expected thing will happen. God will show up in miraculous ways. But you've got to give Jesus all that you have and be ready to receive. Look at verse 42. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. And we said once again the formula, 5 plus 2 equals 7, but God's economy is 5 plus 2 equals 20,000 plus or minus and 12 baskets full left over. More than enough. An abundance left over. Now, I, 
I want to see if you caught the key words in verse 42. What does it say? Everyone ate. That key word, everyone ate and was satisfied. It wasn't just a hors d'oeuvre that was given, a few cheese and crackers, and say this will tide you over until the meal. This was the meal. The word satisfied to me is a big word in this entire miracle. When was the last time you pushed back from the table and said, man, I am so satisfied. I'm so full. I'm, this, is, this is good. Probably for many of us as Americans, that was, might have been breakfast this morning. I don't eat breakfast. It'll be lunchtime for me. But usually at dinner time, about every dinner time, I push back and I'm blessed to say I've, I'm satisfied. My hunger is absolved. Think about Thanksgiving for us. What are you doing Thanksgiving? We eat and we eat and we eat some more and we get to the point where we go to watch a ball game, can't keep our eyes open because we're so satisfied, so full. That's the word here. Jesus did not just give just a little taste of an appetizer. He gave the full meal. They are satisfied. Their hunger is gone. That's how Christ works. It's not a teaser. It's the real deal. It's the full meal. They were satisfied with 12 baskets left over. You know, you and I, we just thought that we came up with the idea of a buffet bar. Jesus does it right here in the feeding of the 5,000. They had more than enough. They had food left over. As we give to others, we receive back even more. Now think about the disciples' minds right here at the very end. Nowhere do we read in their minds for how they were processing, but I can only imagine the disciples, after they experienced this and processed this and be involved in this, what do you think their thoughts are now? Again, what just happened? Who is this? Their minds are blown as well ours should be as well. You see, as we, our minds are blown, I pray every single day because as we give to others, we receive back even more. God's Word is very clear. In Luke 6, it says, Give and be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. As you and I love and serve and give and do and minister in people's lives, we get a bigger return than we ever imagined possible. Also, when you and I live for Jesus right here, right now, what does he say about your life you live for him? He said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life. And not just life, not just a mediocre existence, he said, life more abundantly. There's your abundance again. We're blessed beyond measure when we trust him their very lives. Jesus promises to give us more than we ever ask or imagine. Ephesians 3, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In other translations, immeasurably more, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Process in your mind what only you can imagine in your walk with Jesus and serving others and doing for others and living the life Christ calls you to live. Put it on an exponential factor in your life. That's Jesus for me and you, for all of us. That's what he gives. Christ is showing them in this story and showing us in the story some glimpses back to, time back to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. 
Because Moses, when he was leading the children of Israel, they were without food. What did God do? God provided manna, and the people were satisfied every single day, had, had what they needed for every day, and eventually even quail. God provided water where there was no water in the desert when they needed that nourishment of liquid in their life. Moses divides the people into groupings to help them manage the massive crowd of the Israelites going on their way to the promised land. There's reflections in this story back to the nation of Israel. Jesus divides the group. Jesus provides food where there's very little to be provided in a miraculous way to give them satisfaction in their lives. And the disciples are privileged to be a part of this. Do you wish this for yourself? Are you one person say, I'm in that crowd where I am in need of some nourishment. I need Jesus in my life. God will give. Are you that person who says, you know what? I, I'm a follower of his, and I want to be a part of this loving and serving and going and doing and ministering to see God do miraculous things with what I've got. Are you willing today to say, Jesus, this is all I have. It's all I've got, but it's yours. Do what only you can do with it, and watch Jesus do the impossible with your limited resources. Are you ready to let God blow your mind today? Where's your life? Where are you at with Him? Let's stand and begin to worship and pray. Father, I ask as we worship through this time of song that you would work in our hearts, move in our hearts, help us to bow in your presence and just cry holy, just to rest in your arms, rest in your presence, rest in your peace, rest in your love, rest in your joy, and to be totally submissive today to give you what we have to see you do what only you can do. Help us, Father, to give you our very lives and to give you the resources that we have to see you do great things in us and around us and among us. Move in a way that only you can move. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCC Morganton.